Whether you have a skin interest, a skin query, a skin trauma, or skin disease, I warmly welcome you to Heal Thy Skin, a podcast brought to you by Derm Health Co. I'm Marnie, dermal clinician, dermoscopist, and your podcast host. Skin is deeper than beauty, and our mission is to build the largest platform of specialized practitioners focused on skin health and skin empowerment. Join me each week where we go deep into the skin and beyond to hear stories and education from leading practitioners on a journey of skin health. Medical technology is a broad field where innovation plays a crucial role in sustaining health. In today's world, technology plays an important role in every industry as well as in our personal lives. And out of all the industries that technology plays a crucial role in, healthcare is definitely one of the most important. This merger is responsible for improving and saving countless lives all around the world. In this podcast episode, we will be speaking with Peter Birch of Meta Optima. It's a fast-growing digital health company that aims to be the world leader in intelligent dermatology and skin analysis. Pete has worked in management roles in healthcare organizations for over 15 years, big ones and small ones, innovative startups and slow-moving beasts. He's seen all different kinds, and Pete has experienced firsthand the exciting developments and the frustrating stagnations of all startups, ups and downs in health, as well as the impact of business, investors, doctors, and patients. Pete is also the creator and host of Talking Health Tech, a podcast featuring conversations with influential doctors, developers, and decision makers playing in the Australian health tech scene. This is a wonderful episode to listen to, um, simply because we use this type of technology in our everyday lives, whether we're realizing it or not. Pete answers some of the big questions relating to what's the future of health tech and how safe is really our information when we're using these apps on our phone. I hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as I did recording it. So Pete, what do you think is the biggest misconception about technology in healthcare? Yeah, I think when I look at what we're doing in Meta Optima, a big piece of our technology revolves around artificial intelligence, which, I, which I'll talk about a bit later on. But with AI, everyone's, I think, in the, relatively in the past have, have kind of thought, well, you know, what are all the, all the problems that AI can solve and have all the, the high expectations of AI and the things that it will replace? But I think more that in itself is a misconception because I really think we should be thinking more about what the limitations of AI are and what it is not. Because I think when we go into a brave new world with a lot of technology that's available to us with an expectation that it will do it all for us and replace all our clinicians and everything, then that it's setting us ourselves up for disappointment and, and a lot of failure because that's not what designed to do. Yeah, that's really interesting. And tell us about your career. Sure. So I started in emergency assistance very originally in a company called International SOS. I worked in a variety of different 
operations and, and operations management roles predominantly on the phones and I originally just took a job there over the Christmas holidays between doing a uni degree and up staying there for nine years so I didn't end up finishing that uni degree but that uh, it was a, a good experience nonetheless it taught me a lot about the healthcare space and management in general my last role there was as regional manager for their global assistance network which was managing relationships with providers so hospitals clinics specialists and then through to like aviation providers and security providers. So it was a great networking type role in the Australasia regions, Australia, New Zealand, Papua New Guinea, and then all the islands around. So I eventually left International SOS, took up a head of travel doctor role, like a general manager role at Travel Doctor. Travel Doctor TMVC, group of travel medicine clinics around Australia. So bricks and mortar clinics managing at one point you know, maybe 20, 30 practices in Australia. And then there were a number of other affiliated ones in New Zealand. That business was owned by Medibank at the time. And when that company was sold, it was its own subsidiary. And, and Medibank sold Travel Doctor Team VC to Sonic Health Plus, or, which was owned by Sonic Healthcare. So that was a great learning opportunity for me from a career perspective. There was you know, something like, uh, I think, 100 doctors and 100 staff that were, you know, all under Travel Doctor Team BC, passionate about what they do. And th that transition of the business from one organization to another impacted many of them in different ways. So leading that was a good experience. I end, I was lucky enough to be able to work with Sonic once the business had sold for a, a short, like a 12-month contract to make sure that that business transitioned successfully. And so through that process, I was able to transition, you know, the business onto new software and new processes and everything, which change in healthcare is, you know, that is always a challenge. So leading that was character building, let's say. <laughs> um, I, I, I then, when I saw out that contract with Sonic, had this opportunity to either go with another big organization, a big slow moving corporate or try my hand at startup life. And I went with the startup route and I've not looked back since. I've always had an interest in technology. So being able to move into a health tech company at that point, like directly was really exciting. So I went to a company called Medi Records. Medi Records, it's a cloud-based practice management system, which was used by GPs, allied health practitioners and specialists around Australia. So it's you know, completely built from the ground up, came into the organization when there were basically no customers. I was there for about 18 months, I think, or close to two years. And by the end of my time there, we'd just won a contract with Queensland Health to roll out Medi Records across the all 16 hospital and health services, HHSs or regions within the country to, to about 5,000 doctors, I think, and maybe 3,000 admin or it could have been the other way around, a, a number of, of people in a, in a short period of time. So uh, they implemented that once I'd left and did that successfully, I believe. So that's great from... I'm remarkably proud of seeing what the guys at Media Records have done and I'm, I'm happy for them because it was the first real example of a, an innovative cloud-based kind of clinical solution being rolled out across a, like a state health department. And that's a great progression point of view that, that the benefits that brings to doctors and, and everyone was, was it, it really steps things up a notch. So that's great. So it's good to see some progression in that. I, I left there and, and this is one or two companies that I'm at now called Meta Optima. Meta Optima, I'm the general manager for the Asia Pacific region. So I'm responsible for this side of the world, basically. It's a company originally out of Vancouver. So there's about 60 staff in the Canada office and that's where it was founded. And we do intelligent dermatology technology to assist with skin cancer predominantly. So 
We make software called Derm Engine, which is for doctors. We also make a dermatoscope called a moleScope, which doctors can buy, but it's also for patients as well. So patients can, there is a moleScope dermatoscope and a moleScope phone app. So the dermatoscope is like a, a microscope that fits onto, it's a digital one. So it fits onto your mobile phone and allows you to take close-up images of lesions, of, of moles on your skin. And you can take those photos into the moleScope app and map them onto your body and track them over time as a patient. And so, and for a doctor, the doctor has access to Derm Engine, which is a more comprehensive piece of software that allows them to track the whole workflow of a skin cancer consult with a patient. So look, I can talk a bit more about that later on too. The really health tech's been my jam for the past however long, a long period of time. And in the past 12 months, I've also hosted a podcast called Talking Health Tech. So and that's conversations with, with doctors, developers, and decision makers, promoting innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. So a lot of recurring themes there about health and technology. Well, fascinating. Such a dynamic career, but all with one kind of focus of this technology in healthcare. What mm. is it, Pete, about this technology in healthcare that interests you so much? It's funny because I sometimes pitch myself to people as I am neither a developer or a doctor, but I somehow get along really well with both. Um, <laughs> I, I, so I, I'm actually technically an accountant, but anyway, that's okay. It, it, I'm somehow, I'm, I'm a charismatic one, so that maybe that makes me a rare breed. Um, so I, when it comes to healthcare, I, I'm a strong believer that transformation needs to happen in Australia our health, and, and globally, but Australia in particular. So here in Australia, our healthcare system is definitely good compared to many other countries. But I, I would probably go so far to say it's somewhat broken. And we're staring down this barrel of a barrage of ne negative factors that are impacting the country when it comes to health. So whether it's you as a patient, there's, we're all getting older, there's an aging population and that brings the need for more care and more chronic disease. And then we've got obesity, which is a huge issue in the country. And there's other lifestyle factors, mental health, depression, anxiety, or like there's, there's all, and all those other environmental factors impacting us every day. And the rise of skin cancer as well. So it's continually compounding. So we need to find a way to make people healthier and also reduce the burden of all of that of these rising health costs that come with that onto the healthcare system because in the end you and I pay for that as taxpayers or as holders of private health insurance or as a country just generally like we're going to have to foot the bill of that somewhere so it's in our interests both from a, from a health and I guess a financial perspective that we that we resolve the issue and this and I'm obviously not the only person that has identified this as well these are known factors and then we've got so, so doctors as well or you know clinicians that are treating our, our patients that there's, there's this rising, you know, burnout that's occurring there. So mental health of doctors is a big issue and one of the number one priorities of, of healthcare at the moment. Even those that are making us better are, are not well. So, you know, we're, or they're not looking after themselves or they're looking after others first, which is generally more the case. It's so ironic, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. So it, they'll always put the needs of someone else, but it's this continued like, spiral that is not healthy for anyone. So I feel like the central to transfer, so how do you fix all that? I think that central to all of that 
and transforming that is technology. I think that to do anything meaningful in the space, there's like, there's all this fancy tech that can be developed and that's nice. And you can develop tech for the sake of tech. You know, there's robots, there's artificial intelligence, there's wearables, there's augmented reality, virtual reality. That's all cool, but is it going to fix any problems? And it will probably know if it's just about developing cool tech. It, there needs to be collaboration between being between software vendors, clinicians, um, patients, everyone, that the collaboration within the industry or within the ecosystem to solve big problems. And collaboration, I guess, starts with people talking to each other, which within health, funnily enough, a lot of people didn't do, at least within the industry. I'm not talking about patients. I mean, patients speak to each other about their health all the time. But when it comes to the software vendors and, and the, the providers, everyone was in their own little kind of world. So, which is why I'm, you know, I've established the podcast and why I'm kind of trying to get better engaged with the industry more generally and why I'm so passionate about what we do at MetaOptima because we're addressing, you know, big health problems in themselves. So yeah, that's really what interests me about the health tech space. That's a really interesting perspective. And I think the idea of just creating technology for the sake of it, because we have this new technology that we can take advantage of, but is it actually solving a problem or is it sometimes causing more of a problem in that it takes time and money and resources? I know myself that I have a self-proclaimed lover of technology as well and have multiple apps that I've downloaded with every intention of using only to log into it once and never use it again and then exactly. many months later revisit it and yeah. delete it from my phone. So yeah. I completely understand that perspective and it's quite yeah. kind of refreshing to hear that from someone that works in the technology space themselves. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to perhaps hearing about some of those tech tools and things that you use in your daily life and that you think are relevant to people in Australia today perhaps later yeah. down in the episode. But sure. I'd like to hear about how you think technology has changed in the way that we manage our health and more from the perspective of the general person and perhaps conversely for the practitioner as well. Yeah, sure. I think how technology has changed the way we manage our health. I think for us as patients, just the general person probably be help a lot of us become more accountable for our own health or at least we like to think that there's people many more people now take a probably a, it's a generalization but probably more of a, a younger generation would take more of an active interest in their health and, and take ownership of their own health outcomes i mean you can obviously google anything now and look it up before you go to the doctors and so and you can download an app for literally anything which will track any kind of health indicator or where something that tells you, you know, how fast your heart is beating or how much salt is in your sweat or whatever it mm -hmm. might be. So there's an app for everything or a device for something. I think with all that, though, like that doesn't solve the problem because it's generally just the worried well that do all of that. It's not really those that really need like significant transformational health change that go, you know what, I'm going to download an app and manage my own, you know, blood glucose or something like that they're probably not in a position to be able to even afford a device that they can download an app from so that's nice that those that are already somewhat healthy or at least know what they need to do can find extra tools or, or like 
novel devices to help them, but it's probably not going to, they're probably already somewhat healthy. I think, so when we think about how technologies change the way we manage health, for a doctor in particular, with the emergence of, of wearables and devices and the internet of things, so stuff that's connected to the internet that you can wear, like an Apple Watch or a Fitbit or all like, you know, like those blood glucose monitors or any like even scales that then connect to the internet. They then send the doctor your result and they can look at it. Those have been somewhat embraced already by the rural health community since they got the big problem to solve, which is, well, you know, they've got doctor shortages in remote locations. So, and we're a big country with a lot of space in the middle of it where not many people live, but it's a very nice part of the country. So, well, actually, in particular, not many specialist doctors will work there. So they might only be in the CBD. So patients will need to, like, without the use of technology, they need to travel hours and hours into a capital city to see a specialist and or have significant wait times. But with using tech, they can share vital stats and measures and, and other things remotely often like next to a GP. So that a GP with a rural location and a patient might call in a specialist and they'll complete a consult there. So it's, or, or even a nurse or someone else. Like, so it's having tech to be able to enable that collaboration, that sense for an individual patient is, is, is kind of cool. I think we've still got a long way to go in that space in Australia and, and the adoption of that will probably need to increase. And also for the adoption to increase, there's the whole point about how the government funds the reimbursements for doctors for those types of consults too, because it's not quite built. Medicare's not quite built that way. It's still, you know, built in the very old traditional bricks and mortar. I physically go to a clinic and I'm going to charge a level B consult or something like that. So yeah, there's some time that we need there, but the technology is certainly being developed. It's just uh, whether the, the industry can, can catch up. So yeah, that would definitely be the, the, two, the two perspectives I would say. Yeah, how interesting. And I had never thought of the concept of this kind of telehealth, not just being patient to specialist, but also patient to other practitioner or clinician to specialist. Mm. So you know, that idea that there is this gap in the industry for specialists, as you mentioned previously, there's this burnout with the aging population, with all these other growing health concerns. I can see how in the future, when perhaps some other initiatives like Medicare have caught up, that is going to make things a lot more efficient and perhaps catch things earlier because people are going to be able to see their clinician that necessarily isn't a specialist, but then it can kind of be caught on early if the signs and symptoms are there. Yeah. And I think generally with technology, if there's technology that can influence behavioural change for patients just generally and even even clinicians but just for anyone because if it's just technology that's helping someone do the same thing they did before but in a different medium like they used to write it on paper now they type it into a thing it's kind of like well that, that's nice but it's not like maybe like it's more legible but that's really about it but yeah if, if, <laughs> if, if, if it's if it's you know, but then I'll be like, oh, but it's slower because I can't type as fast or, oh, like what happens if the power goes out or what happens if this, there's always a reason not to do it. But if technology is doing something where, for example, in the skin space, you know, patients who would not have otherwise gone in to see a, uh, like to get a skin check have been either prompted to or feel that it's now probably easy enough or accessible enough for them to even just get something 
you know, reviewed or triaged. Like, you know, I, I'm a bit worried about this lesion, but I'm probably not. I can't be bothered going to a practitioner to get looked at. By the way, you should, I'm just saying. But you know, many hmm. people don't. If they can share an image on an app and then have peace of mind or at least be, be reassured that, yes, you should come in because of these reasons, then that might ultimately save some more lives. Yeah, absolutely. So you've talked about some of the things that we can track. What are some of the things that can realistically be managed or diagnosed or monitored using the present technology? I get so excited by like tracking stuff just generally. It's probably a little bit sick in itself, but it's just me generally. But like, it, look, there's apps and there's, and there's devices you can buy as a patient to manage your own health. Like it's just the number of options available to like obscene. But with that, just because there are so many of them doesn't mean they're all good. There's a lot of poor quality apps out there that make, some spurious claim of it's dangerous when they start saying that we can help you diagnose something. It's fine to be able to track stuff or like, you know, look at historical records or this is what my temperature was, or this is what my whatever was. And I can see how it's changed over time. That's a handy thing. But when you start having apps that say, this will tell you whether you've got melanoma or not, I usually approach those with a, with a lot of caution. From a, Particularly if it's going straight to a patient with no clinician involvement, because there's so many levels of potential like that, that are fraught with danger with that. When it comes to doctors, I mean, doctors are starting to do digital prescriptions now, particularly maybe a little bit in Australia, but very much in the UK. So, you know, you, you get your, like with the doctor today, you, you might go and, he'll, and he or she will give you a prescription for a medication. It's quite common practice, we're becoming common practice, particularly in the UK now, to, to receive a prescription for a, an app to use while, you know, like to download this app and track these, these things or, or purchase this, you know, you might be subsidized for this monitor. I'll receive the results. I'll give you messages or, you know, prompts to help you out and then come in the next amount of time. So technology is being used that way now to, to help augment that, those, those consultations and, and practices. So, but then for a doctor, they, how does a doctor know which app is good and which app is not? So now there's databases that doctors can look at it and they say, you know, th this app has been credentialed to say that it is a, you know, the legitimate one. It might have, it might be TGA approved or FDA approved or something like that. So, even doctors now have resources that they can use to be able to recommend an app with confidence and not just one they've kind of read in an article somewhere. So, I mean, when it comes to telehealth, though, because that's where, you know, you might have a telehealth consult would be, you know, where you're speaking to the, a specialist in another location or a doctor or, or anyone providing you advice. Originally, I used to think those types of consultations can only really be reserved for speaking consults. So, so conversation, it's just where they're conversations with, with a clinician rather than any kind of physical involvement or physical exam. But now, I mean, there is a lot of growth in, say, telehealth physio, which I didn't think would be something that you could mm. do as, as a telehealth consult. And there's some interesting ways that they're using augmented reality to show, you know, I'll show you a video of how to do an exercise. Now you do it and you follow this silhouette that's moving on the screen. But there's some pretty interesting things. I've even heard of tele-dental going on. So wow. um, I, I, don't, I never got into the details of how that worked. I'm not sure if it's as, as crazy tech as my mind makes it think where there's little robot arms that come out of the computer. I don't think it was that. But, <laughs> not uh, yet, Pat. No, no. Well, not yet. Yeah. <laughs> but robotics is a pretty interesting space in, in, in surgery in particular. And that falls under that broader tech kind of 
you know, the health space. So anyway, who knows? I feel like telemedicine, telehealth is it will, will continue to expand. And, you know, and there's telederm now too. And, you know, so teledermatology is, is a growing area as well. Mm, and just, I mean, if you can think it, it's going to be out there one day, isn't it? I think so, yeah. And, it, yeah. and, it's, and someone's probably already working on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, and trying to get the funding for it because all of these types of technology sound expensive. <laughs> yeah, and the irony is, is that, like, and that's where I personally think Australia needs to get better at innovation than backing innovation, and that's more of a government initiative as well. You know, so like we we talk about as a country of being, you know, wanting to be a leader in this space, and here's this huge opportunity for us to be a a leader in the space rather than another follower. But for us to be able to lead in the, in the space of technology, we need to be able to invest in innovation. So that, that might come in the way of government subsidies or research and development rebates. And we do that a little bit, but I feel like we could learn a lot from other parts of the world in terms of how they support startups and scale-ups that are coming up with these types of technologies. Because typically the really cool technology that's coming out now is, is not coming from very, very big corporate organisations because they're not built to be super innovative. They're not fast and agile. Um, they're coming from startups that have access to you know, enterprise-grade tools now that mean they can sell to a big organisation. And so it's really cool seeing now in health technology how there's a lot of startups that are working with big organisations to come up with innovative solutions because the big organisations know they're fast and, sorry, that they're slow and they, they can't come up with these things fast enough. But, the, but if we're serious about that as a country, then we need to be supporting innovation more and, yeah, we need to be, be willing to, to back the little startup from, from time to time. Yeah, supporting these little guys with the big ideas. That's the way. That's yeah. The way. And Pete, at Dermhealth Co, our focus is in skin health. Mm. So what is currently being used for the management of skin conditions, say in wound care, dermatology, skin cancer medicine, uh, mm. UV protection, like what you're doing with Meta Optima, et cetera? Yeah. When I think of dermatology or skin conditions, there's this big rising prevalence of artificial intelligence and AI. AI has been around for a long time, but it's, it's kind of in vogue at the moment, mainly because, I mean, there's a lot of developers that are getting super excited and putting algorithms in the hands of patients to say, you know, this app can tell you this based on pattern recognition, because that, that's what AI is, it's pattern recognition. This image looks like this. So that's where I get back to that point about, well, I approach some of those with caution in that as a patient, you don't know how good the algorithm is or you don't know how big their data set is, like how many images they've used to train the machine because that's how you, you need to train the artificial intelligence to get better. So, And the more images you have, theoretically, the, 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 the better it gets or the more accurate it gets. I mean, AI is, is super exciting and it's critical in medicine today and it's not a fad. So it's... Um, it will literally transform everything and how we do it. Like there's, you know, and for us, we derm engine and Moleskope. So Moleskope as a patient, there's, like I said, there's the Dermatoscope and there's the app. If you download the Moleskope app as a patient, there's no, say, artificial intelligence within it that will tell you this lesion is 
a melanoma or this lesion is even of concern, what we do is help you track lesions over time because that's really important in just monitoring your moles, but also allowing you to then share those securely with clinicians if you have any concerns. So if your doctor is using DermEngine, then they can enable themselves to receive your images if you like, and they can tell you to come in for a consult or tell you it's okay, it's up to them. They can communicate with you directly. So we don't make any diagnostic claim in the app for patients. You, you can't take a picture of it and tell you whether it's melanoma or not. Because from our perspective, you know, AI isn't going to replace doc. It's just going to help them to make decisions. So that's really important for us. I think I remember someone telling me that it's AI isn't the Terminator, it's Iron Man. So I had to think about that for a second. But I think the Terminator was, you know, a complete robot trying to destroy everything and, and took over humans, whereas Iron Man made a cyborg. So, you know, whether that's it's a legitimate a kind of approach and how to think about AI, <laughs> that's probably a neat way to think about it. Look, it's, I got a little bit sidetracked talking about AI, but, but like just thinking yeah, about skin and, and, you know, the things that you can do with apps. I mean, there's everything though. I mean, there's a skin app that, oh, I forget the name of it, but it, it lets you take a picture of your face and then track whether your anti-aging cream is working. Like it, it's like a wrinkle tracker and it, it somehow uses AI to say, you know, you've got more wrinkles. I can tell you <laughs> I've probably got more wrinkles just from just my day-to-day work. I There's dedicated apps. To, so there's that pattern recognition stuff. And then there's also like apps, like just using tech in different ways. So there's like, you can you can do a barcode scan on an app and then have the application, you can scan your product, like your skin product, like creams or whatever, and then it will tell you what's in that product to see whether it's got harmful ingredients in it. So that some people find that kind of interesting. Again, I, I feel like that's a little bit gimmicky. There are, there's plenty of apps that tell you how much UV is outside. And I do like the, the ones that come with a little patch as well that let you kind of, the, the patches change color with the UV when how long you've been outside. So there's some very creative uses of technology which are trying to affect change and behavioral change. So that's all pretty pretty interesting if you just lastly on this point if you but if you go into a clinic as a patient i think this is where you'll see a lot of change occur too like if you had a skin check like a total body check or some people call it a mole map a few years ago where you know the doctor or or, or anyone a nurse would take pictures of your back because you've got lots of lead lots of moles on your back it might have been a ten thousand dollar machine that makes a lot of noises and flashes and, and looks very whiz bang that took the photos or it could be this big kind of dome that you walk into that that is only you know can only be done in that particular room nowadays that same technology is available on the doctor's phone so or the, the phone that belongs to the practice so they can they can take photos with the like with the phone, with the with the, the camera on the phone, which takes the photo securely into, say, Derm Engine, which is an app. It then goes onto the computer in real time, which you can then see on the on the TV. And using some AI and other um, tools, it will help the doctor diagnose what's going on. So, I think as a patient, you'll start to see technology changing clinics when you go for skin checks these days. I mean. And, you know, like we're continuing to, to innovate in this area too. With Even next year will be, I think next year we're, we're, it goes out into prototype and then will be available in 2021. It will be our Derm drone project. So it's a, a little drone that's fully automated that flies around you as a patient. So the doctor would, you know, press click on the computer and it would start the imaging. And so it would fly around you as a patient 
it would do the uh, face ID to make sure that you are the right person. It's got a 4K camera on it. It's got lighting and it flies to the same spot every time. Make sure it's got the same lighting every time. Does the whole, like every photo in, uh, in three minutes in total. Loads it all up into Derm Engine and then the drone comes back and, and lands back on the charging pad and then is ready to go for the next time. Yeah, with drones. It's going to be from from doctors or demoscopists, you know, leaning over you with a dermatoscope yeah. or, you know, some kind of magnifying type lamp <laughs> to then having a drone yeah. kind of yeah. do a lift off yeah. from the treatment table. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'll be lining up to see yeah. that. <laughs> it's going to be fantastic. Uh, now, a bit more of a serious note now, Pete, there have been, you know, stories in the media and people expressing their concerns about the privacy issues. And, you know, we've got more and more of our records just being moved outside using different apps. Um, you know, everything is being tracked. What's your take on yeah. people's concern yeah. with um, this I mean, whole it's a change important issue. in healthcare? I think there's two, there's two factors to it. There's the... the People can be worried about the security of their data that is stored online. Like, is it going to get hacked and is someone just going to take it? So as long as the application that's being used, that's storing information in the cloud is using a reputable cloud hosting provider like Amazon Web Services, AWS or Microsoft Azure or you know, Google Cloud. It, it, and generally they will if, if they're a reputable cloud-based application, Derm Engine, you know, all, all our information is stored in the cloud, Amazon Web Services in Australia, no data leaves Australia. So like these guys, like AWS, Azure, um, they spend so much money on security and that's what you pay, that's what we pay you know, money for is, is you know, 24-7 security, uh, mirroring of information, ensuring that it's it's impenetrable. So that is there's a relatively low chance of being hacked with these guys. There's probably more of a chance of like the local clinic that's got the server out the back where, you know, it's connected to their mail server and then someone at the front, like a doctor or a receptionist has opened up an email that's got a virus on it and then all of a sudden they need to pay 10,000 Bitcoin to be able to get their, their, their information back in. So that's, there's more stories about that these days, about clinics losing or, or having information compromised because they weren't in the cloud. So then there's this other point, though, about, again, artificial intelligence because artificial intelligence is so reliant on data. So you as a patient going into your practice, like, how do you know what is happening to your data? Uh, like all the information you're sharing, if there's AI being used, then by definition, the, the data is being used somewhere to help train the machine. So like, what does that mean for you? Like it's an increasingly interesting area where privacy law tries to keep up. This just isn't like an Australia issue. This is a global issue. So it's an, an exciting area, but also challenging for guys like us because we're innovating in a space and we're trailblazing, but we're also, the rate of our technology, you know, advancements and innovation are much faster than any kind of policy development. So it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. I guess the way that we approach that though, as Derm Engine would be, if you as a, like, we're very much about ethical AI. So, and that means having mm. algorithms that are making decisions, like not in a black box. So it's not like in an insurance company, they might have an AI algorithm that 
decides whether they're going to cover you or not for this particular you know, thing under this policy. And then all they do is they put your information in, they press a button and then it comes back saying yes or no, but then they can't see why that decision has been made necessarily. That's like black box kind of you know, decisions. Whereas us, it's, it's a, like the, any kind of clinical decision support that we do is, is done quite transparently. So what it's doing is taking an image of you as a patient, if you've got a, a lesion that you're not particularly sure of and the doctor's like, well, I, I want a second opinion. I'm going to essentially ask Verm Engine. It takes your lesion, takes all the attributes of it, searches the database of hundreds and hundreds of thousands of images that we've got that have been diagnosed both pathology and clinically, uh, and then says, this is the lesions that it looks similar to, and this is the diagnosis of those lesions. So in the end, ultimately, the, so it's saying, you know, it looks like these 10 lesions and eight of those were melanoma and two of them weren't, or, you know, 50% of them were benign mm. 50% malignant. So it's not saying, you know, it's got a 50% chance of malignancy. It's saying that this is what it looks like. So it, you can't, you can't use that piece of information in isolation to, to make a decision for you. It's just another reference point that the doctor would use. And also if it, it might be helpful in providing the patient with peace of mind as to why something might need to be cut out or why a doctor feels the way they do about, you know, that particular spot. So that, that in itself is so yeah, for us as well, we also appreciate that there are probably going to be patients that don't want their their data being used for any AI whatsoever. So like like they might go to their doctor's surgery and like, I don't consent to my information. I don't consent to Derm Engine using my information for AI, and that's okay because uh, as part of that process, the doctor can say, well, you know, we will turn off our mark here that you don't consent to that, and then essentially your information won't be use like it's de-identified information firstly so no one's going to be able to identify you if they use it your images aren't shared with other clinics it's just basically some demographic information to help it recognize your own lesions and, and a few other bits and pieces but if you didn't still didn't want it to do that you can then say don't use any of the smart tools that just means then you won't be able to have things like total body photography done where it will recognize whether this lesion has changed over a period of time or, you know, the doctor can't use SnapSnap, which is a feature that means they can take lots of images very quickly. They'll just need to do it in more of a, it's more used just as an image repository type way. So we like to give people flexibility because we appreciate the sensitive area and we probably, you know, I don't think anyone's got all the answers for it just yet, but I feel like the approach that we've taken is the right approach because it gives patients the most amount of control that we can, we can possibly do. Yeah, that completely makes sense. And is that something that a lot of this technology does? Gives that? I don't see it everywhere, no. I think it varies. And I think sometimes some of these technologies probably aren't even at that point of thinking about these types of things yet <laughs> because it's come up and these, these are issues that are emerging, you know, now. So how, and they might not have the answers as to how they will address this. I know of plenty of technologies that don't give end users that flexibility. And you think about it, like if you use something like a holiday booking app or anything online, all the stuff you do online, even when you use Gmail, all your data is being like pummeled through all these AI algorithms to help make the thing go faster. So it's not like AI is isolated to healthcare. It's like healthcare is probably the least utilized in that space but the reason why it is is because it's, it's such sensitive information that people are cautious of and 
if things go bad with it, like worst case, if like if you were to be called by a, a hotel provider that was near, or sorry, a car provider that was near to the hotel that you're staying, you won't think much of it. And you're going to go, well, that's because I booked that hotel that was, you know, near to them. So that makes sense. And oh, well, they must have given my information to the car provider. But it's, and that's just part of life sometimes that, you know, you just got sold to. But if that happened because in a health setting where, you know, it was a lawyer contacted you because you just completed a workers' compensation claim at your GP practice, that all of these red flags would be going off with you and and that's not appropriate use of data at all. And because it's sensitive information and because the ramifications of of it going into the wrong hands are so big for patients, you know, like it it can impact employment opportunities, it can impact um, state of mind, it can impact the many things. We need to be super careful with it. So that's why we take it so seriously. And for those that are leaking data, there's some pretty big ramifications for them in Australia too, right? Yeah. And generally, I don't see many tech providers that are maliciously sharing information or doing something where they think, oh, I'm probably doing something wrong. Or, you know what, I'm, I'm going to see if we can deceive people by, by sharing information. It's usually because they've not got their own processes in check or they thought they were doing the right thing, but they've probably done it the wrong way. Or it's, it's been the other way where it's like a health provider, even your GP practice, who's shared information with the wrong person just because they were trying to be helpful. The receptionist got a call from, you know, a really distraught mother or someone saying, I need this information sent to here. And they've broke protocol and they've sent it out without, you know, following due process. So when they think they're doing the right thing, but in the end it's then created a bit of a catastrophe. That's And, you know, there's, there's been changes to data privacy and policy and there's mandatory notifications required now, even for, you know, small health providers, not just for big tech companies. So everyone in Australia needs more accountable with data. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing that. I think it eased my mind and probably those of our listeners as well. In regards to the trending technology, specifically in healthcare, do you think it's coming from the top down or the bottom up? So is it consumers that are finding these new technologies and they're going to the practitioner or the clinician and they're saying, I'm using this? Or do you think it's coming from the clinician or practitioner that is then using technology to manage the concerns, grow their business, or the government even saying you need to use this type of technology in your practice? I think it's a bit of, bit of everything. Like patient demand, that, that'll come... There's a little bit of it, but probably not a great deal. I mean, we, we are starting to see a little bit, even with Moleskope and Dermage and patients bringing in an app to a, a doctor saying, you know, I took a bunch of photos on this app. Like, what do you think of them or something else? I think when it comes to a push from clinicians, that's usually the most successful technology because, again, it's clinicians saying, you know, we've got this problem that needs to be solved. I just wish this piece of software would do it. That's usually when software, like, because for, for software to be successful within healthcare, it needs to be adopted by healthcare practitioners. And if it's not going to solve a problem for healthcare practitioners, then they're not going to use it. So it, it, like us, we, we take feedback from doctors, dermal clinicians, uh, demoscopists, everyone very seriously and, and adapt the product so that then it's, it's safe on board. And, and patients as well, because the patients are using the Moleskope app as well. So we're, we're always improving to try and um, increase that adoption. I think... There are technologies that governments will enforce on, say, doctors and to, to an extent patients. I mean, there's the My Health Record and there's, there's Medicare. It's necessary, but it's usually really cumbersome and slow. I think more recently, the government's been generally trying to engage with the healthcare 
the community or software industry better to try and find some better solutions. But it's still very much an uphill battle. And, and again, anything with government is, is really slow motion. So, you know, uh, healthcare practitioners still need to put up with very antiquated systems when it comes to how to send messages securely to each other or how to claim stuff from Medicare. So that's just time. At some point, there'll be this tipping point where doctors will say, or anyone will say, you know what, I'm getting too many demands from patients to do something, so they'll make a change. That's how online appointment bookings really kind of took off in healthcare is because, you know, patients were so used to being able to book everything else online that it became, you know, a not just a nice-to-have but a necessary-to-have for all GP practices to be able to accept online bookings. So, And that very much came from the patients, not from the doctors. Mm, yeah, so I can see it's from both parties. And mm. what do you see is the future of technology in healthcare, specifically for skin? I think it's for, for healthcare. It'll be about solving technology. Be solving big problems, not creating them. That for technology to play a big part in the future, that's going to have to be the focus. I think it, for us to solve those those big problems that I mentioned at the start of the podcast within healthcare, then then that's what will be needing to focus on i don't think that i hope that at one point we don't refer to health tech as health tech anymore or we don't even refer to ai as ai anymore because they're just part of life so i think that that's going to be the state that we'll get to at some point as long as we do it well um, as an industry and 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 when it comes to skin you know, we're all very much focused, and in Dermengine and Nullscope, Metaroptima in particular, we're, we're focused on connecting the ecosystem. So we talk about the ecosystem being not just like, we're not just focused on doctors, we're not just focused on patients, we're not focused on, you know, any one particular provider. It's everyone that's involved, the pathology companies and everyone that's involved in the process, surgeons, bringing everyone together so that more information is accessible to be able to, in the end, assist more patients and save more lives and also make it more accessible to more people. And if we can save more lives or, or save a lot of money from the healthcare system, then I think we've, we've done something pretty good. Yeah, fantastic, Pete. And apart from that Wrinkles app you were talking about, a Moleskope, what are some of your favourite apps to support your skin or just health in general with technology? No, I'm me personally, I'm a, I've been big on these like wellness apps that just monitor, say, my, I'm a big kind of, well, not big, it makes me sound more healthy than I am. I, you know, I try and maintain weight and muscle and all these other types of things and generally try and be healthy so that I don't fall into a heap when I'm, you know, 40 years old. But um, it's the best kinds of apps that do that are ones that you don't have to manually log yourself. So like, for example, at home, I've got my, my Fitbit scales. I don't even own a Fitbit anymore, but I've been managing. I've been able to integrate my Fitbit scales with my Fitness Pal, which is a, an app that you can use to track how much food you eat and the calories you eat. So then if I weigh myself, then it just automatically goes into the app. So then I don't have to think about it. It's just tracked. So then I can see, you know, how I've, how I've kind of gone over the past, you know, whatever period of time. I On food, then I thought, well, I, I can't be bothered logging all the food that I eat. But what I've found could be helpful is... It's not even a health app, but it's a, a an app to help with tracking of food generally. So I think it's originally my wife and I were using it for 
tracking, you know, what groceries we need to buy. It's called Paprika, funnily enough. Um, now I'm just talking generally about apps that excite me. Mm. But it, it is generally about health because it's like, well, you choose your recipes and then you say online and you can just put copy and paste them in and say, okay, you're meal planning for the week. Because we used to meal plan anyway because that's the only way that we would eat anything that is, has any kind of nutritional value. We're all, we're all busy people. Mm. And so you, you, you choose your recipes and then you click a button and then it sends all the, the ingredients through to a grocery list and then you can go through and you, you tick off your grocery list and, and i think you can even integrate then that with things like my fitness pal so then you can track your macros and your calories and all of that based on what you've eaten so i'm all for applications that don't require a lot of manual input that just become part of the behavioral change so and if we can apply some of that into healthcare that would be that would be how we can can influence some some, some positive fantastic so it's automated ai love it yeah yeah it just happens yeah it, it just works that's, yeah. that's what that's the secret that would be a perfect description of what good technology is in healthcare like you were talking about at the beginning so pete where can people find more about you i'm on a lot of social media like me personally Probably check out the um, the podcast because you can hear me talk about things like this and it, talkinghealthtech.com. And but I'm on you know Twitter and Instagram and and LinkedIn and every other thing that is available. Feel free to add and converse. Um, yeah, always always keen to chat with MetaOptima. It's just metaoptima.com. If you're interested in the Moleskope, which is a the Dermatoscope, where you can take some pictures, check out moleskope.com and, and doctors can check out dermengine.com. Fantastic. Well, it has been wonderful chatting with you and hearing the world of technology and healthcare. It's fascinating. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day to chat with us today. No worries. Wicked. Good to chat. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. What a great interview. I loved chatting with Pete. Pete shared with us the future of health tech in Australia and also eased my mind about some of the privacy issues that I've seen come up in the media about health technology. The three deeper than skin insights that stood out to me were number one, Use apps not just for the sake of technology. Some apps will actually hinder or waste time and resources or energy. Pete uses technology that is automated. It collects information as he goes about doing the things that he's usually doing on his daily tasks. And this is truly what smart technology is. Number two, privacy in technology. This is a biggie. Australia has strict policies in place in terms of how your data is used. And while apps may use your information, the majority of the time it is to make your experience with the technology better, not to use it against you, like in the case of insurance policies. And number three, the concept that one day it won't be referred to as AI or health tech. One day it will simply just be the way we do things. So I hope you enjoyed listening to that interview with Pete as much as I did speaking with him. Let us know what insights you found by connecting with us on social media at dermhealth.co.
If you know someone experiencing a skin condition or concern and you're enjoying these episodes, then be sure to share the podcast with them. It may help them on their skin health journey more than you realize.